Welcome to the Dare to Care podcast, brought to you by HR Culture. And now here's your host, Susan Judd. Welcome everyone, I'm Susan Judd and this is the Dare to Care podcast. Today, I'm really excited to announce that I have here as my guest, a gentleman by the name of Steve Samatino. Before letting Steve have the mic, I wanted to do a little bit of a formal introduction of Steve for everyone. Steve told me that he was born a nerd and he tried to hide it for most of his life, but he actually wrote his first lines of computer code when he was only 10 years old. And then he went on to major in economics. That's pretty nerdy. Lucky for him, nerd is now cool. And subsequently, he's become Australia's leading futurist. So Steve is a media commentator and you may have seen or listened to him before as he appears weekly on places like the ABC and 3AW and he provides expert commentary on the tech industry for Australian national news on every channel. And also you may have seen him on the project that shows weeknights on channel 10. Steve knows a lot about industry from his 15 years spent in FMCG. For those of you who are unsure what FMCG stands for, this is otherwise known as fast moving consumer goods industry. He experiences through his work at Kraft, Kimberly Clark, the likes of Carlton United Breweries and Procter & Gamble. He then followed his true passion for technology, launching a number of successful startups. With all of this background, he now consults around the world on technology strategy. Last year alone, he spoke to over 100,000 people. And that was when I was lucky enough to hear Steve speak as a keynote speaker at the Mid-North Coast Ignite Forum. That was held last year, 2019, at the Slim Dusty Centre in Kempsey on the Mid-North Coast of New South Wales. And I found his future thinking and ideas so engaging that I knew and decided right then that I wanted to interview him on my Dare to Care podcast, right then and there. So why? Why did I want to do that? So that I could interview Steve about how he sees the future of work for our young people, our Generation Zs, who have already entered our, started to enter our workplaces. But they will continue, continue to enter our workplaces for at least the next eight or so years as they finish school, move into our workplaces, or go on to university and then move into our workplaces and become our next generation of team members and of leaders. So with all of this in mind, I would like to extend a truly warm welcome to Steve. Thanks for having me. I'm pretty excited to be here. Uh, appreciate uh, you giving me the opportunity. Awesome. So excited to hear what you've got to say to answer our five questions that we're going to ask you today. But before we get started on that, I really want you to explain to um, our listeners, tell, telling us a little bit about yourself in your own words. Um, I've already introduced you, but explain a little bit about that for us and also help us understand what a futurist actually is. Okay. So a little bit of my history is that I've been a nerd since about the age of 10, where I was you know, writing computer code a really long time ago before it was fashionable. I didn't have any friends for the first 25 years of my life because that's what happens to nerds. And then all of a sudden, nerdosity got cool and I'm, I've got a couple of friends, so I'm happy. But basically, I was really into tech and business really early on. I had my first business when I was 12, which was an organic egg farm. Um, I was coding as a, as a young kid. I studied economics at uni, worked in corporations for about 15 years, didn't really like it the whole time, did okay, but didn't like it because 
I'm all about what's new and what's next and how can we do things better. And if anyone's listening has worked in a corporation, corporations are about building this model of how they do things and it's about changing things but only within the boundaries. Mm-hmm. And I like to go outside the boundaries. And so I learned a lot working in corporate and, and I, it was kind of okay, but then I sort of escaped my cubicle and I went out and did a startup uh, in the early 2000s, uh, a Web 2.0 startup was the first sharing economy startup in the country called Rentoid.com. I built that, sold that to a public company. I started blogging and writing and speaking really as part of this whole underground startup scene in the early 2000s where no one really knew of it. And, um, and then after that, I just evolved into an author and got, kept getting invited to speak and give commentary on radio wrote a few books that did pretty well and had lots of translations and people just started calling me a futurist. I didn't do it. I didn't do it. Okay. I, thought, I thought it was a wanky word. I'm like, this word's wanky. I can't call myself a futurist. It's crazy. People started saying, oh, we're getting Stephen. He's the futurist. Cause myself, I was just talking about what's next and what's next. And, and I was recognizing the patterns of what's next and explaining that. People used to say, oh, Steve, can you come in and explain to my company at Cadbury just all this stuff that's next? Oh, oh, Steve, can you come and talk? And I just was doing all these talks for 10 years for free. And then one day I did a talk and there was an agent in the audience and he came up and he said, Barry Markoff here, have you got an agent? How much do you charge? And I'm like, how much do I charge for what? He's like, you can make a lot of money doing this. I said, all right, we're on, baby. And that's what I did. That's it. That's what happened. Wow. That's and, a good story. Um, and so the way that... I realised, and I only realised this after I looked backwards, is I have a framework for understanding the future. Now, the future doesn't mean you're going to predict something like COVID. The future doesn't mean, oh, I can tell you what the lotto numbers mean. What it means is you can see a pattern and you can tell people about the pattern. We can predict where things are going to go. We can't predict who the winners will be. And that's the difference. There are patterns that are inevitable. Like it's inevitable that digital technology would take over the media. Right, And my job is to show people in analog media how to transition. It's about embracing new technology. So the three things I look at, and there's three, is human behaviour, anthropology. That's what doesn't change. The human brain is 200,000 years old, hasn't had a software upgrade in 200,000 years. It's not about to change anytime soon. Right? We think we change, but we don't. Our behaviour patterns are the same. We do the same things. We have the same values. All we have is different tools. Now, that's what technology is. Technology is the tools we use to get things done. That's my second framework. So human behavior is one. Number two is technology. That's the tools we use to get things done. So a pair of shoes is a technology. A knife is a technology and so is a smartphone. They're all technologies. Yeah. Right. And the third part is economics. That is the business models. That is how do we transact with each other to get things done? So how do we satisfy human behavior using the tools that we've got to make sense of economics? And it's really interesting that we understand the word economics, which comes from the Greek, which means management of the home. Nice. So I put those three things together and they overlap and then they give you a pattern, human behaviour, technology, business models. It's like a Venn diagram. Yep. And then that's what I look at as my framework to help us understand what's next. Okay. So that's it. And so so this... This fabulous framework is going to help you identify patterns so that you can then look into what's coming next and advise on that. 
Absolutely. So that's oh, right. So okay. I, yeah, I take into account how humans are reacting to the world around them, how the tools are shaping those reactions, but how they're fundamentally really just ensconcing existing behaviour patterns. They just have new executions. And then how does that change how money flows? Because when I, I think about economics, people get confused. All economics is this, is the flow of money. Yeah. Where will money stop flowing and where will it change to flow? And will there be more or less? And who gets more and who gets less? Because humans are using technology to solve their problems in different ways. So the problem of solving how do you get news used to be you get the newspaper and you watch the six o'clock news. Now it's you get it on your phone, on your mobile, and you get a feed or you get it on Facebook or you go in and watch the news at your time. So the problem of news is still being solved, right? That's the problem you solve. Just how it gets solved has changed with technology. So the human need of understanding what's going on, that hasn't changed. It's yeah. just how we solve that problem is different. And because it's digital, there's not as much money in it, mm. right? And so the money yeah, in news organisations got fragmented out to Google and Facebook and all these other news providers. So that's the economics. Do you see the pattern? Yes, I see the pattern. And, and I can tell I needed you about 25 years ago in economics in university. Yeah, right. Yeah, That's I right. Nice and economics. easy. That's what I did. I'm actually an economist by trade. Right. Yeah. Excellent. So um, thank you for that explanation. I'd like to get started with asking you our five questions. Now, sure. our, 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 our podcast is all about helping people understand what employers expect and what young people need to know as they enter into our future workplaces, right? And, yeah. and I think it's really interesting um, to get your perspectives on some of those some of those challenges and some of the things that you believe are the best things that the younger generation, and we're talking about Gen Z, so they're currently in high school. Yep. The youngest of them is, is about, has just entered year seven. The oldest of them are already in our workplaces and they're 23 years old, 23, 24 years old. So this is that cohort of um, young people that are already in our workplaces or are coming up through our high schools. So with your futurist hat on, and your, and your framework in place, what do you believe are some of the, for your first question, the current challenges that they, ha that they have or will experience when they hit the workplace? Yeah, we've done a pretty big disservice to uh, Gen Z uh, in a way. And, and I'll tell you the biggest disservice that we've done is that in the real world, there are always hierarchies. And we have pretended as they've grown up, that hierarchies don't exist. Mm -hmm. And we have told them that everyone gets a trophy. But in the real world, everyone doesn't get a trophy. Mm -hmm. Some people get some and some people don't. And in the real world, some, sometimes the people who get the trophies didn't really win the race. It's actually not a meritocracy. Mm -hmm. The social elements of how you manage situations and preference and all of that politics that happens, we have because we don't think it's nice and friendly and warm and a good learning environment, remove that reality from the way they grow up and they do their schooling and their education. And so there's going to be a, there's a deep mismatch between what they've been taught and how things work and when they get in the real world, when there's hierarchies. And so because of this, they lack certain forms of discipline and resilience. And so the biggest challenge, I think, for people entering the workforce is the understanding that it's not going to be as fair as you think. It's not going to be as equitable. You're not going to be the hero. And the fact that you understand and know digital technology 
that's going to that's gonna evaporate. You know, you're not going to be the cool young kid forever. Mm. And so I think that the biggest thing is that hierarchies are inevitable and that they exist in the workplace and they're unfair and they need to learn to navigate that in a way which is antithetical to what we taught them in school. Mm. And, and, and that hard economic reality and that hard social structure reality that is in the business world and the economic world, I think has been removed from schools and that's going to be the number one challenge that they'll face. So that's really interesting because it makes me think, okay, so what do our educators need to do? They need to actually, we've, and it's not only educators, it's also, it's also homes. It's everywhere, isn't it? It's pervasive. People make mistakes anymore. There's, there's no, there's no letting people make mistakes. There's no letting people fall and break their arm. You can't climb a tree. You can't, what we've done is we've just, it's not even helicopter parents. You know what it is? It's bulldozer parents. We clear the path for everyone. We're quickly clearing the path so that it's safe. And, 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 and I understand why we do that, but we're not helping. Mm. So it's, hard. it's actually hard if you think about it, even from, for parents who are listening, you know, because they want to, they want to help their kids navigate this. And I love your, I love it because it's like that clear path, bulldoze, yeah, bulldoze. all of that problems out of the way. Watch. How do they learn? Now we're bull- You've got to fall over. You've got to get some skin off your elbow. Yeah. Now, what we have failed to delineate is the difference between getting hit by a car where it's, you know, it's, it's, we have to protect against that. I get it. But mm. we've gone too far. We don't mm. let people skin their knees either. Mm. And we need to be able to work out the pendulum has swung the entire way to bulldozing a clear path. We need to swing it back in the middle. Yeah. Where we can say, okay, look, these are the things that are just too risky and we don't want to expose you to that, sure. But you know what? Actually, yeah, it's okay to hurt yourself. It's okay to come last in the race. It's okay that you failed it. It's a, you know, and I sensed it when I did HSC. Way back in the 90s when I did HSC, it was the first year of the VCE and they had uh, a new ruling come in that if everyone put in the classwork, it was impossible to fail. You wouldn't get a mark, but you get a P, which is a pass. That's bullshit. That's crazy. Yeah. No, yeah. just you handed in the work doesn't mean it was good enough, right? And then what we have is is a society that's set up where good enough is near enough and that doesn't pull our society forward. Mm. Okay. So if that, I, I 100% agree with you. I think it's, we've, I think in many homes, in many homes around the country, we've probably talked about it in one way, shape or form, as we've had kids grow up and go through sport and everybody gets a medal and everybody, and then they go to the swimming carnival or they go to the athletics carnival and they all come home with a medal or yeah. a ribbon or a winner's note. Yeah. The 63rd place. I've got 63rd place, Mummy. You're proud? No, I'm not. Actually, that's really crappy. Yeah, yeah, and why are we giving them out? Yes, because it's, yeah. it's, yeah, we're not being, we're, in the end, as you say, we're not being fair because the reality Actually, is, being fair to them. Yeah, the reality is when you're giving them out. Which is yeah. bigger. See, this is the thing is school is meant to be a practice for the real world, but we didn't let them practice. We didn't yeah. let them learn how to lose or learn how to come second or learn how to actually probably got to work a bit harder. Yeah, and then and then what the other word that you used was resilience. So then, in the losing, in the making the mistake, in the falling down, the, we we help them build their skills to bounce back. That's right, but yeah. they're not bouncing back. We're grabbing them. We're actually grabbing them before they even hit the ground. Mm. Okay, so there's some of the challenges. 
let's talk about some of the best things that you see that they will bring into our workplaces. And and they've got some massive advantages. So the first one is that um, they have a technology literacy that other people can't have. Yeah, they don't know a world without the internet. That is a massive advantage. Mm. And the reason that that's an advantage is, is twofold. The first one is they expect the pace of change to be radical. The pace of change is radical, but most of us who are more senior and got a couple of great hairs like myself, we, we don't expect the pace of change to be radical. We actually falsely believe that it's quite stable, but it's not. They expect radical change. They expect whatever the tech was last year to be changed in six months. We kind of don't. We have in our head that MTV has still got music on it. You know, that's, that's, that's what we've got in our head, right? And so, you know, that changed 15 years ago and we still think music TV. They have this advantage where they, it's just a natural state of exponential change and they get it and they know it and they're just like, something new to them is not a surprise. It's the normal. They expect it and they just adapt like that. And that is such an advantage and business and the economy and politics, we all we need that, right? And they've got that in spades because they just grew up in the technology war zone where there's just bombs flying off and it's crazy and changeable, which is great. That's the first one. The second one is that they actually don't see digital. There's no such thing as digital to them. Now, I'll explain this. Everyone thinks about digital, but we're in a world now where digital doesn't exist. It's foolish to even think about digital because there's no such thing. Gen Z, the young, they're like, what do you mean digital? Yeah. To them, there's no digital. There's just life. One yeah. minute, it's a piece of paper. The next minute, it's an iPhone. The next minute, it's a Zoom. The next thing, it's a computer. The next thing, it's Hey Siri. There's no digital to them. It's just life and these things just weave in with each other. Yeah. So any business that has a digital strategy, and I've been saying this for 10 years, doesn't understand strategy because there's no such thing as digital. If you... The only reason you should have a digital strategy is if you have an electricity strategy. And I can't think of any businesses that have an electricity strategy. It just is. I can imagine in 1915, people would have been like, okay, guys, we need an electricity strategy. It's a new thing. We've got to get on board with electricity. We are 20 years into this internet, 30 years. If you're still talking digital strategy, mate, you're 30 years behind. No such thing. Millennials understand and Gen Z understand. No such thing as digital. There's just life. They integrate. Right? And, and, and so you need to remove digital from your mindset and just think about connection tools, how to get things done. Sometimes it's going to be analog. And actually, if you just think digital, you're actually missing some of the important physical elements. I mean, look at it. Amazon have got a store now, their Go store, and it integrates digital and physical. Right? Think about the way Apple, think about the way Apple does their stores. Apple Store is the most profitable retailer in the world. You know why it's so successful? Because they naturally and seamlessly integrate the physical world and the digital world. They don't see digital. You know what Apple have been doing for 15 years and no retailer in the world has done it yet? Incredible. You walk in, you buy an Apple computer, which I'm talking to you on now, right? Have you noticed there's no cash register in the Apple stores? Yeah, there's nothing. Right. So tell me why all the department store retailers, I go try on a shirt and then they go, go over there and talk to Jimmy who will put you through on the cash register. This, the person's got NASA in their pocket. They can just go beep, and, and, but they've still got a cash register. They're in yesterday's world. Mm. So this, this lack of delineation is what Gen Z have. They, they just see the two worlds seamlessly working together and that is going to be a massive advantage going forward and we need that. We need non-digital thinking, just thinking. 
Can, can I ask, sorry, a second question now comes up then because lots of employers, particularly SMEs mm. um, that I work with, still have li very little digitisation. And I know we're not, we're talking about a digital, we're, we're not even, you know, it's, it doesn't exist anymore because it's just life. I 100% agree that lots of, you know, our listeners will still be in businesses of small and medium size that don't even use or have very minimal use of any kind of digitisation and, uh, and some of their expectations, if I think about, you know, I know we're going to talk about the employer expectations, but some of their expectations are that you put your phone down and you don't touch your, you don't, you know, you kind of don't touch your devices and all of those sorts of things. So any advice for them? Yeah, well, I'll just, on the last point you made, I'll just pick up on that. To not pick up your device or look at your phone and be distracted, I think is a good point, but that's actually not digital. That's the same as picking up a magazine and reading when you're on the job. Like if you wouldn't yeah. pick up and read an article in a magazine or read a letter from a friend while you're doing your job, well, you probably shouldn't be looking at your phone either if that's what you're doing. A phone and technology is like a fridge. Mm. It's like a fridge because you can pull out of it healthy food and use it for good value or you can pull out junk. Right. And so this, Phone as a distraction is, I think, a separate idea versus using the technology. Companies that are still historically analog, they need to move forward. But, but the, the point is, and I'll still come back to it, is if you're an analog business and it's working well and you're not being disrupted, then don't think that you need to be digital just for the sake of it because that's not strategy. Yeah. Strategy is about saying, where are the gaps of where we are and where we want to be? And how do we get there? Now, between where we are and where we want to be, that's strategy. The tactics on getting there might be digital. There's a good chance it is because they're new tools and they make things more efficient and easier. Mm. But never, ever jump to digital for the sake of it. Where are you and where do you want to be? Okay, great. Once we've worked that out, what are the best tools to get there? And that's non-digital thinking. Now, if small businesses are here and analog and where they want to get doesn't involve digital, it might not might even be right. Yeah. It might be an organic cafe that digital is not even part of what you do. You might have a small thing, which is an Instagram feed, and that's it. Mm. All right? your, your strategy might be make sure people love coming to you so your Google reviews are good. Someone else is worrying about that strategy, that digital side of it, and the recommendations. Yeah. Don't just jump to digital for the sake of it. Yes, use it, and there's an 80% chance you'll probably need it to get somewhere if you're lacking. But first understand where you are and where you want to be. Work that out. Then go, what are the best tools to get there? And then when you get there, because you're just thinking about the best tools, there's no digital, just tools. What are the best ones and the best ones available? And if you don't understand them and they're new digital ones, fine. Go get someone who understands it, get them to teach you and then in integrate it. Yeah. But think holistically. Mm, okay. That's the art of the future. Yeah. Awesome. That went in a way, that went in a direction I wasn't anticipating, just by the way. Anyway. <laughs> because we need to be thinkers and not slaves yeah. to technology. Technology yeah. is there to serve us. We're not there to serve it. You've yes. got to remember Zuckerberg and Facebook and Google, they want us to just use their tools because it suits them. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm an analog guy as well as digital. I write code one minute and then the next minute I'm using a pen and a piece of paper on the tasks I need to do because... I'm agnostic and I'm objective driven. Yeah, yeah, I'm. I'm with you. I I've got writing and notepads everywhere still, but still doing some of this digital stuff. Okay, let's move on. Thank you. Let's move on to our third question, which is talking about employer expectations. 
um, in our in our contemporary workplaces. Um, what do you believe employers expect, and do you believe of their young people, and do you believe those expectations are reasonable and being met? Yeah, I think there's two different types of employers in the first instance. I think that there's established employers, large established businesses that have been going pre-internet, and then there's post 2000 companies. I think that they operate differently. I think that companies that have emerged after the year 2000 are more likely to be fair and understand the needs of uh, the younger cohort because their birth date has, there's a, there's a very significant matching principle that goes with when companies are born and what their culture is because they tend to be born in a culture that matches the age of when they were born. And the reason that that happens is that unless that company can succeed when it's born, uh, unless it, its culture matches when it was born, it won't succeed is the point. So if a new company is born and it doesn't match the culture and the zeitgeist of society, it won't succeed. So, so new companies tend to have a better match and a better understanding of utilising their human resources in a way that matches the world. So I actually think that they do a really good job, to be honest with you. Young companies that have Gen Z people in there tend to understand their skill base, what they're good at, where they're challenged, some of the things we've already discussed, the two first two questions, they yeah. tend to get that. Yeah. I want to focus on more established businesses. Great. More established businesses tend to have a protocol within like a boundary where they want the, the new staff to adapt to their protocol and their world. And because they do that, they're missing out on the benefits and the wisdom, the young wisdom that young people can provide. Young people are like, I would say they're a little bit like when you have children. And while the parents need to teach the children something, we need to teach them language and how to operate and certain hierarchical elements and how to do things. But really smart, smart parents, as soon as their kids can talk, start to listen to their kids because their kids have got fresh eyes and going to see the world in a way that we don't see it. We need to think about how we operate in our home with our children if we've got an established business to understand the benefits of our new children that come into our organisation that are Gen Z. So there's this form of biomimicry that we can learn from. The big challenge is that hierarchy gets in the way of new ideas. And so that natural hierarchy, which I spoke about, and it exists, but smart businesses will be able to step outside their existing protocol to embrace some of the new operating ideas of the young people. That's what they need to do. Like a child, listening to your child, they're going to give you some new ideas that help you improve. doesn't mean you need to change everything. It might just be 10 or 20% of it. But if you will listen and if you will act and give them resources, you have to give them resources. The best thing you can do with Gen Z, if you're an existing company with an existing method that's a bit old or outdated, is don't, um, you've got to give them resources. Don't just give them rules, give them resources. And if they've got resources, they might invent some new procedures that the whole company can benefit from and maybe even adapt the culture a little bit. Because then if we look back at a family in the end, you know what's really interesting about families? As the family gets older, in the end, the kids become the parents. So I'm the parent of my dad now. He doesn't know it, but I'm his parent now. Now I look after him. Now he's kind of a little bit out of touch with what's happening and he's a bit older. And right now during, you know, the, the COVID crisis, I have to make sure he's not leaving the home without out my knowledge and where he's going and all those things like a kid, you know, a teenager going out. Yes. And so... We need to look at what happens in families and if you want to have a long, sustainable family, look at that and apply that to your organisation. 
It's so true because, you know, um, it's like the circle of life, but it also yeah. has to happen in an organisation, doesn't it? So I think it's really interesting because there's lots of employers out there who really struggle with, um, with young people coming into the workplace and not meeting their expectations. Yeah. Uh, and maybe their expectations need to adapt more and keep moving on. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting. It's, yeah, it's intriguing. And it's certainly something, you know, that over the last decade I've worked with employers in managing their expectations and articulating their expectations. And, and you know, and our Gen Zs are going to become our next you know, our next team members, our next leaders, our next, they're going to be exactly what you just said. They're going to be in that circle of life or circle of business. They will be the ones as leaders in, you know, in the next decade, 15 years. They will be the ones that are changing things. Excellent. So with all of that in mind, what do you believe are the critical skills that our Gen Zs, um, our young people need to, need to have or need to work on as they um, move into the workplace? Yeah, I think that, that there's two and one of them is anthropological and one of them is systems management. I'll, I'll explain it a bit easier. So one's working with people. Yeah, I'll get to that second, but the first one is project management. And I'll tell you why project management is the skill because increasingly things will be done by automation and artificial intelligence. And so the art of work in the future is not doing things, it's managing how things get done. And do those things get done in a timeline and how do you allocate resources to get them done? The core skill of the future, no matter what you do and what industry, is project management. How do you manage projects? The project might go as long as a day or it might go as long as a year or a number of years, but the skill is managing projects situations, outcomes, resources, allocating and changing, flowing as new information arrives and things change and don't work out and managing situations. Project management is the skill of the future. Anyone who can manage projects is going to have a bright future because that's what we do now as humans. We're not on the tools like we used to be. Even computer code now gets outsourced more than it ever got outsourced. You know, most coders now are taking little bits from GitHub and different places and pulling them together and you're really putting the pieces together. You can even see the way we do things with media now. It's like like a patchwork quilt where you get this bit of information off YouTube and that little piece over here and you pull it together and it goes in your Twitter feed. Project management is really the skill of the future now. And if you can manage projects and understand the tools and how they're used, then you're going to be in really good shape. Now, the thing that bubbles out of that is that project management is all about how you manage people because it's all the people who have access to those resources that you need to work with. And so this is why, where these high-level skills, you know, like empathy, creativity, humanity all come in because project management is about dealing with personalities, people's, their own objectives, their own nuances, their profit concerns. That's what project management is. So because project management is the key skill, then humanity rises above left brain logic or, you know, physical muscle that we had back in the old days. And so we're moving up that Maslow's hierarchy of self-actualization and human skills because project management allocating resources is more important than us being the resource, turning the spanner or writing the code. And so it's project management first. And because it's project management, it's high level humanity skills. If you've got those two things, then you're going to have a really, really bright career. 
Excellent. Great advice um, and great, well, we're moving on to advice, but great ideas for what young people can start to um, concentrate on or think about in terms of how do they build those couple of skills. Um, and something that Dare to Care is doing is working with high schools to build those working with people skills before they hit the workplaces. Yeah. So it's an, it's a, you know, that whole, I love the whole idea of this bigger picture project management and then the working with humanity piece. Yeah. Like the empathy skills, the um, creativity skills and the understanding how the perspective of other people yeah. and how to get along really and get to bring the best out of people is That's so right. important. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. Um, look, I just think that, when you do that, you're actually forcing yourself to see things wider. You're actually pulling yourself out of your wormhole. The problem that, you know, industrialization, if we go way back 200,000 years or 200 years when, when Henry Ford and we all started working in factories in the cities was about what they called peace labor. And peace labor is when you did your little part. Yeah. Putting bolts in a car door or you're the accountant doing the spreadsheet. But increasingly we're stepping out of that. And so, by thinking about project management, it forces you to look around the entire yeah. business and develop a breadth of understanding. Yeah, bigger picture, bigger picture yeah. thinking. Yeah. yeah. Brilliant stuff. Okay, final question, Steve. Best advice. What's your, what, what would you consider to be your best advice for um, our Generation Z as they prepare to enter the workforce? Okay. You've got to create more value than you extract. Life is a value equation, and if you create enough value for others, there'll always be enough for you. You actually have to not focus on yourself, mm. right? But I'm going to give a weird one that goes with it. You've got to invest more in yourself than you do in your job because the only way to create value for others is to be more than you are now, and it means you need to teach yourself things outside of your work that makes you more valuable. That way you can create more value and you get more back. So you need to be constantly educating yourself and upskilling yourself outside of what you get paid for. And when you do that, you create more value. You become more valuable. And when you become more valuable, more value comes to you. Yeah. And so one of the great ways you can do that is side projects. Look, I'm a firm believer that everyone in the world should have a side project going. And the side project can be anything. It could be you... Um, developing a meetup group for something that you're interested in. Let's say you're a high school kid and you love playing, I don't know, um, you love playing uh, Fortnite or Minecraft. Okay, so make a club. Uh, have a meetup where you do this kind of stuff and work it together. Uh, run an eBay store where you learn how to sell things. If you like writing, why haven't you got a blog going? Have something that is a side project and it can be something that you're passionate about that you love. Yeah. Right? Because what you'll learn is you'll learn skills about project management and life and the world and revenue streams and money mm. flows just in your side project and then you bring those skills in because it's the skills that matter, not the industry. For so it's really long, we've, been, we've been obsessed with industries. Oh, we want yeah. someone with industry experience. No, you don't. You think you want that, but you don't. The only reason you say that is so it's easy for you to just plug someone in and not think. Yeah. Right? You want someone who's got skills that are above the industry that are applicable. Yeah. It's the greatest hoax of all time we want industry skills. All you want is you want to put in widget number 73 and widget number 73 whole. Right? So, so it goes back to the industrialization thinking. It does. Doesn't it? 
So we want someone who's passionate about something to do a side project on it in it. But when you're doing it, turn on your brain and go, how does this apply to other areas? Mm. And then all of a sudden you're building these skills, doing something you love, and then you can bring it into your workplace. So that's highlighting the adaptability of, you know, once you've got once you've got these higher level um, project management skills, you then become able to adapt those to any industry. Anything you want, whatever you're passionate about. Mm. You know, I, I like surfing. You see my surfboard up the back yes. there. Yes. Um, and so I built a couple of years ago, I, I built a, a surfing app that tracks all my surfing and where I went and what I did and all that kind of stuff with a mate. And we did that just, and I just did it as an experiment because I liked it, but I learned a lot. I mean, it didn't turn into a business, but we did it for a few years and I learned a heap of stuff about it. I've written three books and, and that started from blogging where I was just sharing my ideas online blogging and then it got turned into a publisher hit me up and said, hey, do you want to write a book? All these things on the side sometimes become on the front line. Yes. And just doing things that you like yeah. can be really valuable. And you know what they teach you as well? Entrepreneurial skills. So you can either take them into your work or they teach you the art of entrepreneurship. And you know, I think in the future increasingly more of us and more of us are going to be freelancers like, like we are where yeah, we run our own right. little businesses because now the tools have been distributed all of a sudden, even though you work for a company, you still might be a freelancer. I still work for companies, but I work for 80 companies a year instead of one. Yeah, absolutely. Agree with you. Yeah. And I'll just say one thing too about the young kids out there is never ever forget that you are an entrepreneur. Even if you work for a big corporation you're an entrepreneur who is the CEO of your personal services corporation and you just sell your time to one big customer, otherwise known as an employer. As soon as you start thinking like that, you're thinking, if I'm a product and I sell myself to a company, how do I improve my product, working hard on myself? How do I improve my product so that I get a higher price for what I sell? Yeah. Right? So, yes, yeah, so absolutely get them to do those entrepreneurial thinking Yes. About themselves and not just, I don't, you know, I'm not just somebody who's joining this, this business no, or this organisation. You've got one. As a barista. That's right. And or as, a, or as a waitress or as a retail person or as a, you know. How do you go from being a Holden to being a Mercedes? Mm. How do you get a higher price for the same thing? Well, you've got to have more features and benefits and be designed better and be more, a better driving experience. How do you become a better driving experience? Better to work with people be able to cross the countryside, which is the project, a bit better in your car. That's it. Become a Mercedes if you're a Holden. How do you do that? Yeah. So, so you know, so them, So this advice is all around, you know, investing in yourself, doing Absolutely. more. Because all of those things, rather than wait for somebody to come to you and say and to, to invest They're in They're not going to come to you. The, no. Here's what's going to happen. They're not going to come to you. No one's going to come and tap you on the shoulder and say, I'm going to teach you the tricks. It might happen. Assume it's not going to. Yeah. You've got to tap yourself on the shoulder, pick yourself and say, I'm going to invest an hour a night reading a book. Every book in my bookshelf I've read, every single one of them. And, and that's, that's my trophy cabinet. Yes. Right, because I invest in myself and no one was giving me a trophy. I had to do it myself. Yeah. Everything I know I learned and I taught myself yeah. and I've invented a career around it. If you invest in yourself, you'll never, ever go hungry. And for the first time in human history, have all the world's knowledge available online for free never ever happened in human history the only question is this what are you going to do about it are you going to take the opportunity or sit on the couch and watch uh, married at first sight that's mm. the real question it's the only question i've got for anyone who's listening mm. it's a great question 
because you're right now is it's right now right here right now and there's probably time and people probably may very well have some time up their sleeve as well well I know, I know that i've got an inordinate amount of time that's been freed up because i'm not traveling at the moment you know mm -hmm. i'll be on five flights a week so I've, I've you know I'm, I'm chewing through a book a week at the moment and i'm loving it right but yeah, we've all got 24 hours in a day. That's the great equaliser. Right? And yeah. someone might be richer than you and have a nicer house and a swimming pool. Yeah, the one thing that's annoying me at the moment is all these uh, celebrities showing how hard life is in front of their pools in Hollywood. But here's the thing. How you use your time, no one, no one has more advantage on that. You can learn what you want. It's up to you. And if you're smart enough to read, you've got all the skills you need to be able to learn anything. I'm a firm believer. Language is one of the hardest things humans have ever invented. It's more complex than computer code and maths. If you'll put the time in, you can learn anything. Learn, learn a new language. Take the time to learn a new language. Yeah, I've yeah. tried. It's really hard. <laughs> the reason that, that languages seem hard, and I speak Mandarin and Italian, is that we forget that for the first three years of our life, the only thing we did was eat and learn language. Yeah. Nothing else. 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. If you put the effort in, it's doable. Yeah, you You're can do it. You've got to want it. Yeah. Desire is way more important than talent. It's about. It's actually about the desire, isn't it? And about the desire is everything. And, and tenacity to keep desire going. Desire tenacity, it. resilience. You've got to have a crack. You have a crack. It's up to you. Yeah. Yeah. If your brain is smart enough to learn to speak your primary language, it is smart enough to learn anything else because that is the most complex thing. You know how I know? Because natural language processing, which is computer speaking human language, is the most difficult form of computer coding and programming that we've ever developed. Right. And humans can already do it. So yeah. I know that anyone who's wise enough to speak a language can learn anything. Yeah. That's a fact. Cool. Maybe you've inspired me. I'm not sure. <laughs> it's inspired me to hit, go back to Italian. Italian, allora. Well, I'll give you a trick on Italian. Do you want me to teach you a um, hundred words right now that you'll never ever forget? I'll teach you a hundred words in Italian right now, real quick. You ready? Okay, go. One trick. You know the word station in English? Yeah. Or nation? Every single word in Italian that is the same as the English, like station or nation, is the same word with zione at the end of it. Nazione, stazione. Any word in English that ends in T-I-O-N is the same in Italian with Zione at the end of it. So I just uh -huh. talked about the words. Is that right? Yeah, trick, huh? My Italian teacher didn't teach me that. He should have. He should have. <laughs> he <had> here first. <laughs> okay, fabulous. Well, I, I want to say thank you for uh, sharing your insights with us today, Steve. It's been brilliant. I mean, I, you know, some of the things, I mean, I was, you know, we, how we were talking about doing things digitally but also ana analogically. I've made a whole list of things that, you know, notes of the, some of the things you said and, you know, some of the um, some of the advice and the, you know, the thinking about what are the critical skills for our young people to enter the workforce with, um, you know, things like the project management, the working with people and the critical thinking and the ability to adapt and having technological literacy and all of these fabulous things that you've talked about today. There's... I hope inspired some of our some of our employers to have a think about how they're interacting with their young people, even some of the ways that they're interviewing the young people that they're bring they're wanting to bring into their workplaces, um, getting them kind of outside of that whole um, 
cultural birth age yeah. that you talked yeah. about, thinking about what are these, what are some of the fabulous things um, that these generations, as these young people can bring to our workplace. I mean, I firmly agree with you. I actually truly believe that our, that, that our young people have so much to teach us. If we can just get out of our own way um, to actually let go of what we know and are comfortable with and actually let them teach us, they've got so much and our, all of our businesses can benefit from them coming in and working with us and um, helping us navigate through into the next stage as well. I, I totally agree with everything. I'd, I'd like to extend my grateful thanks for your time. I know it's very valuable. <laughs> so I'm very appreciative of you being our guest today on our Dedicare podcast um, and providing us with your insights and ideas. Um, I'm excited about Personally, I'm really excited about the future. I think we've got a lot to learn every day. I have two Gen Zs that I live with. Right? Yeah, me too. Uh, yeah. And every single day they teach me something. It's not necessarily something I want to learn necessarily. <laughs> well, but they've got all things like that. Aren't yeah. all the ones you don't want to learn? The yeah, good ones? They, they see the world, they have a different filter. Yeah. Um, and it's a bit like what you said you were talking about and you were kind of, uh, for our listeners, you were waving your arms around um, about, you know, their interweaving of life. You know that it's not digital; it's just life, and they see it because they've known they haven't known anything different. Yep. So that, for me, it's it's for, it's so I think it's so exciting, and it's just if we can encourage our, those employers who sometimes struggle with the expectations that they have on young people, they don't see things exactly the same, and maybe it's our turn to kind of um, really listen to them and take on board what they what what they can teach us. So thank you very much. Um, I really, I'm really grateful. Thank You're you. welcome. It's an absolute pleasure. I really enjoyed the chat myself. Excellent. So um, before we finish, listeners, finally, if you've enjoyed today's episode, please give our Data Care podcast a five-star review on Apple Podcasts so you can even listen to us on Spotify. If you have questions or comments about today's episode, please contact us on Facebook. Um, you can find us on Facebook at Dare2 with the number two, Care. Oz, A-U-S. So Dare, D-A-R-E, number two, Care, C-A-R-E-A-U-S. And either leave us a comment there or private message us. Um, We love and truly appreciate your feedback. So uh, thank you for listening. I'm Susan Judd. And until our next episode, how are you going to Dare to Care? Thank you for listening to the Dare to Care podcast. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts find out more about HR Culture and Dare to Care by going to hrculture.com.au. You've been listening to another Morgan Media production. 